Amen. Amen. Man, I love the, I just love the cry of that song, come Holy Spirit. That ought to be our prayer. Every time we, we wake up, we get together, just, just Holy Spirit, we're just praying that you would come. I love it. Hey, if, uh, if you're new here today, my name's Mark, like John said, and uh, we're just excited to have you here. Uh, if I've never met you, you've been coming for a little bit, maybe for one reason or another we've never met. I'll be at the welcome area after church out there in the lobby. And uh, I'd love to just shake your hand, say thanks for coming, answer any questions uh, you might have, pray with you. Just any way we can serve you, we'd love to do that. If you're here for the first time, also, we've got a free gift for you. We'd love to give that to you. Uh, you can fill out your connection card at the end of service, drop that in the offering basket, or take it out there to the welcome area. We'll just exchange that card for the gift. Uh, this morning. All right. Hey, listen, I know we just prayed. I'm going to pray again. We're heading into some deep waters this morning. We're going to jump into the deep end today. We are in our transformed series uh, that we've been in for the past couple of weeks, taking us all the way through the month of September. Today, we are talking about mental health. If you were here last week, we talked about emotional health. And so you can, if you missed it last week, you can go and check it out on the the app, website, download it or whatever. Today we're talking about mental health, and so uh, we're going to really jump into some things today. So would you bow your head and close your eyes? Would you pray with me today? Let's just ask the Spirit to come and and to be our teacher. Holy Spirit, come. That's our prayer. Holy, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come, that you would fill our hearts, that you'd fill our minds, God, that you would fill this place with your, with your presence. God, your, your, your manifest presence in this place, God, is what we desire. And Father, I pray that over the next few moments, just as we, uh, God, just experience your presence and, and just worship you, God, in song, that we would just continue to be in that kind of heart as we open up your word. I pray for help, God. I pray that you would come and that you would uh, just loose my tongue, give me the words to say, but God, it wouldn't be me, it'd be, it'd be you. Nobody needs to hear from me today. But we all need to hear from you. And Jesus, I thank you that, God, you want to speak to us today. So Jesus, thank you for being here. Thank you for your word. Thank you that, that you have saved us and that we are your sons and daughters. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, really quick, just by raising your hand, anybody here born between the year of years of 1995 and 2015? Put your hand up if that's you. 1995, 2015. That's you. Put your hand up. Okay. Several hands uh, going up. If you just put your hand up, that means you are a part of what sociologists call Generation Z. All right. And so, you know, every generation has, you know, names. Maybe you're a millennial, you know, a baby boomer, that sort of thing. Maybe you're Gen X. Uh, But if you are born between 1995, 2015, you are Generation Z. Z, according to sociologists. So there you go. So you can wear that label proud. The reason I bring that up is because earlier this year, uh, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, health for people in Generation Z, specifically focusing on teenagers, 12 to 17-year-olds, and just trying to compare the state of mental health to adults and and to the rest of the the population in this country and around the world. And they released some really... uh, of generations that the world has ever seen. And and so the reason that I bring that up is because we're in this series transformed. And what we're doing in this series is we're trying to get a vision of how Jesus wants to bring transformation 
to the whole person. Not a part of who you are, but, but to all of us. Emotional, uh, mental, physical, spiritual. Just that, that Jesus wants to bring transformation to the whole person. And, and so what we see here is that mental health issues are not just an adult thing. It's a people thing, isn't it? It's in kids, it's in teenagers. This isn't an adult issue, this is a people issue. And because it's a people issue, this needs to be a church issue. But unfortunately, what happens in the church is the church, just like last week, the church a lot of times is silent when it comes to things like suicide. Silent when it comes to things like depression and anxiety. And here's the thing, the church can be silent on it, but mental health issues are kind of almost the elephant in the room for a lot of churches. Here's why. Because church is not a building. Church is who? Church is people. And people deal with depression. People have suicidal thoughts. People deal with anxiety. People come to church like this one church is every single week with those things. So the church can be quiet about it, but those are issues in the church. And what happens, is, especially if you, if you battle with these kind of issues, you've heard this before. What happens a lot of times in churches, if you tell somebody that you have those kind of thoughts, if you tell somebody that, that you, 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 bat, you have those kind of battles, those kind of struggles in your life, too often what you hear back is, well, you need to pray more. You need to read your Bible more. And, and here, here's, here's the problem with that. The problem, the reason why that never works, and maybe that's your go-to advice, okay? Maybe that's your advice for everybody. Listen, I'm pro-prayer. I'm pro-Bible, pro all right? I'm pro-all those things. But the problem with those things is that simplistic answers don't usually solve complicated issues, especially when you and I are created in the image of God. And so what that means is we're complicated. God's made us complicated people, not, not people who fit into nice bits and pieces into categories, but God's made us whole people. And, and so, so simplistic solutions aren't enough for complicated issues. And, and what I love here in the Bible is that God, while the church might be silent on these kind of things, God is not afraid to put mental health issues front and center. I mean, you, you, you look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I mean, this is a thread all the way through Scripture. Fear is the number one topic in the Bible. Talked about more than any other issue, any other subject in the Bible. Fear. Numbers 11, Moses is suicidal. He, he prays that God would kill him. We saw in our last series, remember the series in Jonah, the uh, series we did called Running? Jonah chapter 4, Jonah prays that he would die. Jesus Jesus, Matthew 26, 28, it's not on the screen, but the night before Jesus dies, he takes Peter, James, and John into the Garden of Gethsemane, looks at Peter, James, and John, and says, listen, guys, my soul is weariful to the point of death. What is that? That is Jesus Christ saying, listen, I don't want to go on anymore. I'm overwhelmed with fear. I'm overwhelmed with anxiety. I don't think that I can go on anymore. And here's the thing. If anxiety is simply a lack of faith, who wants to volunteer to tell Jesus that he doesn't have enough faith? Because I can tell you, not me. Right? And what you see in the Bible is, is instead of mental health issues causing God to run from us, instead what you see in the Bible is, is fear, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, those dark times that we go through a lot of times, or maybe that's just a constant battle, consistent issue in your life. Those things in the Word of God aren't something that cause God to run from us. Actually, they cause God to run to us. So that instead of depression, anxiety, those kind of things being, being issues where where 
where we can't meet with God. What we see in the Bible is we see people meet with God in the darkest moments of their life. I love what I think it's Psalm 56.3 says. Watch Psalm 56.3. Look at the way that it's worded. Not if I'm afraid when it's inevitable as human beings living in a broken world, the godliest of us are going to be afraid. When I'm afraid, what will I do? I will put my trust in you. So here the psalmist, David, David doesn't look at fear and anxiety and say, oh man, I can't pray. No, David has made his muscle memory reflex, if you will. Every time I feel anxiety, I'm going to God. Every time I'm afraid, I'm going to God. And God is there with his arms wide open. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. The question is, how do you do that? How do you... How do you go to God, even meet with God, on the other side or or during a panic attack? How do you meet with God in depression, anxiety? How can you go to God when you don't want to go on anymore? Well, here's the thing. Let's say this. And every time we talk about this in church, I always get a couple of questions. So let me just go ahead and say this. One thing, we need to be thankful for the common grace of good counselors therapy and medication that can help us walk through these issues and God's people said amen common grace do you know what that term means common grace is just simply this idea that that it doesn't just rain on Christian farmers it rains on Christian farmers and unbeliever unbelieving farmers Buddhist farmers just rains right Right? God doesn't just provide for Christians. God just out of his grace just provides for the world a a lot of grace and mercy. Common grace is just this idea that God has given some good things to all people regardless of whether they know him as their father or not. Medication, therapy, counseling, those kind of things. They're common grace from God. And here's the thing. If anxiety medication, taking those things, means that we take those things because we don't trust God enough. We take those things because we don't have enough faith. We take those things because we have a lack of faith in our lives. Well, listen, if that's true for anxiety medication, then why isn't that true for every single other kind of medication you take for every single other kind of issue? Have you ever taken Tylenol? Well, don't you trust the Lord? Do do you see that? These kind of things don't work. These kind of simplistic, just just Bible-thumping people, you know, those kind of things, they just don't work in a real broken world. You see that? So how do you do that? Now, here's what we're going to do. What I'm about to walk us through in 1 Kings 19, so if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up, turn it on if you need a little bit extra time to find that 1 Kings early on in the Old Testament. 1 Kings 19, we're going to walk through this whole chapter, and here's what I need you to know. Excuse me. What we're going to see today is a process. We're not going to get three points that if you and I do these things in five minutes, you'll never worry about anything for the rest of your life. Again, there are no simplistic solutions for complicated issues. All we're going to see today is a process of how you and I can go to God and meet with God in the middle of the darkest times in our lives and honestly in the middle of even some joys and greatest times of our lives. But what we're going to do today is we're going to see this process come between God and the prophet Elijah in the context of depression and suicidal thoughts. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and open it up. We're going to use a lot of Bible today. We're going to be right in this chapter, so I mean, we're not going to turn all over the place. But 1 Kings 19, I want you to look at this if you, uh, if you can with me. We're going to be in the first 18 verses, but we're not going to just read it instantly like we do. We're going to uh, study this passage and, and bounce back and forth with some things. But let me give you some context before we read, all right? 
context, in 1 Kings 18, Elijah just comes off of the biggest moment of his ministry. If you're a little bit familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard of this story. The, the story of Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. You probably heard that, right? And so there's these 450 prophets of Baal. Baal is a, is, is a, is a god that people worship at this time. It's a, it's a, it's a counterfeit god. It's, a, it's really a wooden statue that people make and they bow down. Baal worship was really popular, really widespread in the ancient Near East. And that Baal had a lot of prophets, just like every false God has. And so what Elijah does is Elijah says this, listen, let's play a game. Let's see whose God is the real God. We'll meet on top of uh, Mount Carmel and you bring all of your prophets and it'll just be me and I'll be the prophet of God and all 450 of y'all can show up for Baal. Let's put a sacrifice on top of this mountain. Let's pray to our gods and let's see which God sends down fire to consume the offering. And so Elijah lets the prophets of Baal go first and they worship and they pray and they scream and they literally take knives, they cut their flesh and bleed all over this, trying to get Baal's attention to send fire down, light this offering up, nothing happens. Nothing. I mean, Elijah, you can read 1 Kings 18, it's actually pretty funny. Elijah has a smart aleck streak and he literally says in 1 Kings 18, maybe Baal went to the bathroom, he's busy. Uh, literally, that's what the Bible says, go read it for yourself, I promise that's in there. And nothing happens. Elijah goes up to the offering. He says, listen, hey, I want you to take some uh, buckets of water. Just soak this offering. Douse this offering. Reason that's a big deal, it's been a drought for several years. Water is a precious commodity. He says, take all the water you can get. Soak this offering. Elijah prays one prayer. God, let these people see that you are real. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes the offering. Great day. Post it on Instagram. It'll go viral. All right? I mean, I mean this is a win, y'all. This is a good day at church, Right? You know, this is a big deal. People see it. You would think Elijah is pumped. Now watch. Now let's read. 1 Kings 19 verse 1. Ahab, that's the, that's the king here. Ahab told Jezebel. This Jezebel is Ahab's wife. You don't know anything about Jezebel? Here's all you need to know. She's crazy. She's literally crazy. If you're about to have a girl, I don't know what you're going to name her. If Jezebel is on the table, take it off. Do not name anything Jezebel. She's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. All right. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She says, listen, by this time tomorrow I'm going to send some people and you'll be dead. I'm going to have you killed. Next verse, then Elijah was afraid, and he arose, look at this, ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Get this image in your head, man. God, send down fire. Wouldn't that just take your trust in God to the next level? Oh my goodness, man, wouldn't you just charge hell with a water pistol? Like if you prayed and God just fired, just, ah, you know, wouldn't that be amazing? And one negative word from one person causes Elijah to run for his life. I can relate to that. If I get a hundred compliments but one complaint, all I'll focus on for the next ten years is one complaint. One complaint causes him to run, from it, run for his life, run from God, filled with doubt. And look what happens in verse 4. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down 
under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. I am no better than my father's. You know what that prayer means, right? God, kill me. Now watch what God does. Watch what God does. This is huge. Watch this. Verse 5. And he lay down, slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake, a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down. Verse 7, and the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Stop right there. So Elijah runs for his life, runs a whole day. He's dead tired. He's exhausted. He's suicidal. God sends an angel. And the angel says, Elijah, wake up and read your Bible for the next four hours, and then all your problems will go away. No, I love what the angel did. Remember, transformed. In this series, we're getting a vision. Transformation is for what? The whole person. Look again at what that angel said. Uh, uh, Elijah, verse 5, Elijah, arise and what? What's it say? Eat. I mean, apparently, this, apparently the angel's a baker. Bakes a cake on some stones, and there's a jar of water. I love that the angel says, Elijah, you need to get up. You're tired, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally. Here's a cake. You need something to eat. Elijah, you need to rest. So what's the first part of this process where we can meet with God and experience transformation? The whole person, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, the whole thing. First part, if you're taking notes, write this down is rest. Rest. I love that the angel says, listen, listen, Elijah, you need to eat something. Listen, Elijah, you need to take a nap. Verse 5, arise and eat. Elijah apparently eats the whole cake. Verse 6, look there. Verse 7, he's so tired and drained, they do the same thing all over again. Elijah, here's more food. Elijah, you need to go to sleep. Again, I love that what God does is God takes care of Elijah's physical needs. He takes care of his mental needs. Elijah, you need to rest. Have you ever been praying and fell asleep and woke up 15 minutes later? Am I the, is it just me? Is it just me? Am I the only one? Some of y'all, your halos are real shiny today, right? Is it just me? You ever fall asleep in church? Be careful because I look at y'all's faces. I know the answer to that one. Some of y'all, this is where you catch up. Amen? All right, don't amen that. That's horrible, right? You ever sit down to read your Bible and you just keep dozing off? Just dozing off. And we beat ourselves up, don't we? Oh, man, if we really loved Jesus, we wouldn't fall asleep when we pray. If we really loved the Lord, we would pay attention in church. We'd never doze off when we're reading our Bible. Listen, this might not apply for everybody, but have you ever considered that the reason you just doze off when you sit down to read the Bible, when you get still before the Lord, that the reason you fall asleep when you pray is because you're tired? We don't talk about this in church at all, do we? Self-care, taking care of yourself physically. Here's what we say, that's not spiritual. And I want you to know it's spiritual. This has everything to do with God. The proof that this has everything to do with God, the longest of the Ten Commandments is not worship the Lord your God and worship Him only. The longest commandment isn't don't murder, uh, obey your parents, don't covet. The longest of the Ten Commandments is the one about Sabbath. 
Stop for 24 hours. Rest. Be with God. Give yourself to things that give you life. I want you to take care of yourself. God says, listen, I know what's going on inside of you, and I want you to rest. So let me ask you a question. Are you tired today? Are, I mean, literally, are you tired? And, and it is a kind of tired that sleep, for some reason, is not taken care of. Here's the thing, the world that we're taught, the world, the world that we're in, some of you are even thinking this. Listen, there's no way that I could slow down. There's no way that I could do a Sabbath. There's no time to rest. I hear Christians say this. Listen, Brother Mark, we've got no time to rest. The devil doesn't take a day off and we'll rest in heaven. Can I just tell you the devil is not your standard? Right? Shouldn't compare yourself to the devil. Right? Some of us, we're just not sleeping at night. We're up all hours of the night. We're worrying. We're wringing our hands. We're trying to solve all these problems. I think for a lot of Christians, the reason we can't stop and rest and we always say we got to go, 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 is secretly we think God needs some help. Summit, listen to me. God doesn't need any help. There's only one person here today who doesn't need sleep, and his name was Jesus. And if your name isn't Jesus, sleep is a gift to receive from God. Why? Because we need to rest. Man, I'd have amen to that if I was here. Listen, this is the far best sermon I've ever done. Right? I'm telling y'all to go home take a nap. Right? Praise the Lord. Listen, do you want God to work through your life? Do you want God to work through your life? You only have one body for him to do that through. Do you want to know Jesus and love him? You only have one mind for you to do that with. One heart. You only have one body. I love this quote from a guy named Parker Palmer. Self-care is never a selfish act. It's simply good stewardship, watch this, of the only gift that I have. God, use my life. Not if everything's broken on the inside. Not if I'm tired. First thing is rest. And so after the angel and Elijah, they deal with Elijah's physical needs, mental, emotional, just his physical state. Verse 8, Elijah arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? So Elijah, he's rested up. And Elijah says, you know what? I need to be with God. And so Elijah, on the strength of the food that the angel gave him, goes on this 40-day journey to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. This is the same mountain where Moses meets God in the burning bush. Same mountain where God gives the Ten Commandments. I mean, surely if God's going to be anywhere it's going to be on this mountain and when Elijah gets to Mount Horeb he finds a cave and Elijah goes in the cave and waits for the Lord so part two of our process is simply waiting there's resting and then there's waiting waiting on God can I just tell you I hate to wait does anybody else hate to wait anybody else Maybe you're good at it. I, I'm not good at it. Y'all pray for me. Like, I'm not good at it. Put me in a waiting room. Oh, my goodness. Right? Or you text somebody, and you text somebody, and then those three bubbles start bouncing up on your screen, and then I'm waiting. What are they going to say? And I just start freaking out. Pray for me. Right? Right? I'm just, I'm just not a good waiter on, on, on things, on people. Listen, when we're talking about waiting on God, we're not talking about a waiting as if we say, oh my gosh, is God going to show up like we don't know what God's going to do. A lot of times we can think that waiting is wasted time, but waiting on God is never wasted time because God is in the waiting. 
See, what we need to understand, Elijah has this sense, I need to be with God. And here's what you and I need to know. Write this down if you're taking notes. God is the initiator. God is the initiator. So just the desire that Elijah has, I need to be with God, that's God already on the scene. That's God already at work in Elijah's life. God is drawing him. The Spirit of God is calling Elijah. He might, he might not even be aware that it's God, but just God's desire, just the desire for God rather in Elijah's life is God already on the scene in Elijah's life. I love the verse and we all know it. We love God because what's the rest of it? God loved us when? First, God's the initiator. So when we talk about waiting on God, again, we don't mean, God, are you going to show up? I'm waiting for my friends. We got, we're going to go to the movies. They're not here yet. They're late. I don't know if they're going to show up. It's God, are you going to show up? That's not what we mean. When we talk about waiting on God, we mean an active waiting with the expectation that God is already here and I need to be in his presence. God's already here and I need to be in the presence of God. Man, listen, for too long, I listened to the voice of the enemy who would whisper into my ear. You know, I'd be in church or we'd be about to do something. I'd be, just be praying, God, use me. Or I'd be alone. God, God, speak to me today. And I'd listen to this whisper, this voice in my head that would tell me, God doesn't want to speak to you. God doesn't want to help you. you. You doubt too much. You're too afraid. You're too messed up. You're too all over the place. Listen, listen, God's not going to show up for you today. But listen to me, and if you hear those voices, listen to me. Where the devil doesn't realize he's already lost is the fact that God is the initiator. And so listen to me. If you just have a desire in your life, God, I need you. I want you to know that is God already on the scene in your life. This desire, God, move in our church. That's God already moving in our church. We may not even realize it. We just think it's us with our desires. God is the initiator. God showed up first. I didn't even realize he was there. So waiting on God, you can do that in your car. You can do that at home. Yes, it has to do with physical space, but it more has to do with a posture of our hearts that says, God, I need to be in your presence. And every time you have that desire, God is already on the scene, at work, moving in your life. Man, don't miss the fact, too, that what, that what got Elijah to this place of, God, I need to be with you. I need to be in your presence. What got Elijah here was Elijah was broken and at the bottom. Is that where you're at today? Is that where your family's at today? That you just feel like you're broken. You just feel like you're at the bottom and you need God, I love God's question when Elijah is waiting and Elijah is at the bottom. Verse 9, the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And that leads us right in to the third part of this process. So after we've rested, we're waiting to hear from God. Now God invites Elijah and all of us to name it. To name to God what's happening under the surface of our lives. And so Elijah just pours out to God everything that he's feeling in this moment. Look at this prayer, verse 10. Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. Watch this. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. God, I'm the only prophet left. God, I'm the only one that's faithful. Here's the thing. Elijah knows that's not true. 
Elijah knows that's not true because in the beginning of chapter 18, there's another prophet named Obadiah. And Obadiah and Elijah have a conversation about how they're going to take over a hundred prophets and hide them from Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. Elijah knows he's not alone. But have you ever been so emotional you feel like you're the only person in the world who's ever going through what you're going through? God, I'm the only one that's ever felt this way. God, everybody's talking about me. God, God, I'm the only person who's ever been here. Elijah, God, I'm the only one that's faithful to you. And what happens here is Elijah just begins to name to God what's going on in his heart. He's just honest. Listen, have you ever done that? When is the last time that you just got honest with God? That you, that you dropped the Christianese, you know what I'm saying? You know, and all the churchy language that we try to fill our prayers with and our time with God. And you just were honest with God about how you felt. And you were honest with God about what's going on under the surface. When's the last time you did that? Have you ever done that? And again, it's important to know. Elijah, when we're talking this way, we're not talking about putting God in his place. We're not talking about just venting to God. We're talking about God's kids talking to their heavenly father saying, Dad, this is where I'm at. I'm depressed. I don't want to live anymore. I'm lonely. I can't believe that they did that to me. I can't believe they did that to my kids. I can't believe my marriage is here. God, I, I don't know if we're going to make it. God, I'm so scared. God, I don't know what the next move is. God, what's going to happen to us? Look at me. The love of God is a safe place for you to name what's happening under the surface of your life. Amen? Man, but that's scary because a lot of times we don't even like to admit to ourselves what we're feeling, do we? A lot of times we don't even like to be honest with ourselves about where we're at, let alone God. It's scary to do that. Especially in church world because in the church world, a lot of times we've created this climate where everybody has to look good all the time, where everybody has to have a good day all the time, where you always have to be in church with a smile on your face and whatever you're feeling, you just need to stuff it down for about an hour or so so that we can all act like we don't have any problems, but we all secretly know the truth, don't we? This week there was a pastor that I follow. His name's Jared Wilson, and I, I didn't know him personally. I just followed him online. You probably heard about it as well. Um, he was a pastor in California. He led a, a really large mental health ministry. That The goal of it was called Anthem of Hope. You can look it up. The goal was just to try to shine a light on mental health stigma in the church because Christians don't talk about it enough. And he himself battled depression, anxiety. Uh, you can look him up on Twitter and see he's just honest about it. And this past week, on Suicide Prevention Awareness Day, he committed suicide. Young guy. And less than 24 hours before that, he was tweeting out and trying to encourage people who were, who were walking through the same battle. And after that happened, you saw all kinds of people who knew him said, I talked to him that day. I didn't know this was going on. I knew he struggled, but I didn't know he was struggling then. A couple of years ago, it was just a couple of years ago, like three or four years ago, um, I was in my office and I was working on a sermon. I was doing some things, getting ready for church here. And, and I got a phone call that a friend of mine who was a pastor uh, died in a car accident. And, and, and the details were really, really fuzzy. And in fact, the person that was telling me the details, they, they just were saying, but it doesn't add, add up. Something's not right. And, but, but this person passed away. And, and it was horrible. It was a shock because one time we were really good friends in seminary. And early on, then we just moved away and kind of 
lost touch. But then I got a call 10 minutes later, and they said, Mark, that, that original detail was wrong. He took his life. And so a couple days later, I was at that funeral. And, and the conversation at that funeral was that nobody knew he was suffering that way. Apparently not even his wife and kids. And, and just nobody knew that that was going on. It's hard to admit what's happening under the surface because a lot of times we don't even want to admit that we're there. We don't even want to admit we're having these kind of thoughts. We, we, we think, oh man, I, if I was more spiritual, I wouldn't even have those kind of thoughts. And listen, the enemy has got the church to this place where we can't be honest to name it. And God just invites Elijah to put all of that onto God's back. And God doesn't run away. Instead, what God does, look at the rest of, this, look at the, rest of the passage. Verse 10. Verse 10, well, verse 11, God says to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Elijah, let's go out of this cave. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in the pieces, broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Watch this, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire... The sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him. And he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah prays the exact same prayer that he prayed earlier. But, but I tend to wonder if his tone changed. I just wonder if his tone shifted a little bit. And now Elijah looks at God and he says, God, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I'm the only one left. And they seek to take my life away. See, God, God says, let's get out of this cave. I'm about to pass by. And God isn't in this wind that's just tearing these rocks off. God's not in that. God's not in the fire. God's not in all of these big, huge, momentous things. God is in the whisper. Literally in the Hebrew, what it says there is God comes to Elijah in the sound of sheer silence. A lot of times if God wants to talk to you, God's not going to send you a letter in the mail. A lot of times when God wants to get your attention, he's not going to text you, is he? Wouldn't that be cool? God wants to talk to you, he just starts texting you. What's up? You know? Wouldn't that be cool? God's not going to put a billboard up here in Hazard addressed to you. I want to speak to you. God, God, God might do those things. I mean, it's not beyond his ability. But can I tell you the way that God wants to speak to you, the way that God usually speaks, is God usually speaks in the sound of sheer silence. To pull back, to drop distractions, and just to listen to the voice of God. Imagine what it was like for Elijah in this moment. All the external things that came along with being a prophet are gone. There's no crowds. He's not preaching a sermon. Elijah isn't doing anything. He is standing at the entrance of this cave. And it is just Elijah and God. Imagine what it would look like if all of the titles that you have at work, at home, at school, all of a sudden you just lose them. You just lose every title you have. 
Imagine if all of the external things that we hold on to to give our life meaning, imagine in a moment they're all gone. Imagine there's no Netflix to binge. There's no phone to look at. Imagine it is just you and God. You say, Mark, listen, what do I have left if I lose all those titles? If I lose all those things, what do I have left? Listen to me. What you have left is that you are loved perfectly and known perfectly by the God of the universe. What you have left is that you are the son of God. You're the daughter of God. And he sees all of your imperfections. And Jesus has taken all of those to the cross, paid for all of those. And the father is pleased with you. And depression can't take that from you. Anxiety can't take that from you. No mental health issue, no person, the devil himself, can't take from you what we have in Christ. God wants to tell you those things. But listen to me, often he speaks in sheer silence. There's a monk, his name's Thomas Keating, and he says this quote. I believe it's on the screen. He says this. He says that God's first language, God's original language is silence. So listening to God, God, I need to hear you speak. God, I need to hear your voice. God, I need you to remind me that I am yours. So I'm resting, so I'm, then, I'm, then I'm waiting, then I'm naming to God, God, this is where I am. I'm just being raw, I'm just being real, I'm just being honest, and I'm listening. God, I need you to remind me that I'm yours, I need you to tell me that you love me. And then finally, the last part of the process is go. Is go. Watch what God does. So after all of this, after all of this, verse 15, Elijah wraps up his prayer that he prays for the second time. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you will anoint Hazael to be king of Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. Elijah, you're not alone. There's 7,000 you don't even know about. All of the knees that have not bowed to Baal in every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah, I want you to go back out into the world. I love that Elijah prays this prayer and he doesn't say that, all right, after that Elijah was happy and he never was sad again. Elijah prays this prayer and he just felt an overwhelming peace and he, and he just went skipping on down the road there in the in ancient Near East. Birds chirping. There is no indication at all, watch this, from the text itself that Elijah on the inside feels differently than he did when the encounter started. But what Elijah leaves with is the voice of God over his life. He says, I love you, I'm with you, and you're not alone. So go, let's go, let's go. Going, if you're here today, you struggle with anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts. Going in the strength of the Lord might be just getting out of bed one more day. Amen? It, it might be just keep on putting one foot in front of the other. That God, okay, okay, God, we're, we're going to go today. We're going to keep going today. But I love that God says, all right, let's, let's, try, let's try to take a step, Elijah. Let's try to keep 
going. And Elijah, now I think that I think that as you read the story of Elijah, things began to shift. Things began to change. Did he run back to this? Did he go back to this kind of mental state? Probably, possibly. We really don't know. But God sends Elijah out after having this experience with Elijah. And he goes in the strength of God. And would you just look at one more thing with me? This isn't on the outline. This isn't on the screen. But would you just notice that when God says go, here's Elijah depressed and suicidal and he prays. Would you notice that 16 through 18, everything in those three verses is God building a community around Elijah? Did you notice that? Hey, I want you to go anoint Elisha. He's going to become basically your sidekick. There's a guy named Jehu. I want you to find him. Listen, verse 18. Elijah, you think you're alone? There's 7,000 prophets you don't even know about. Elijah, you're not alone. And God builds a community of people around Elijah. Listen, mental health issues. You struggle with depression, anxiety, whatever is going on in the surface of your life. One of the biggest things that we need, we need a life-giving community of people who love Jesus and love us and to the best that they can will walk walk with us through whatever we're walking through. Amen? We need community in our lives, not to isolate. I know we got all kinds of tech stuff now. I know we've got all kinds of screens. And so now we don't even think that we need to go to church. Can I just tell you that with all that we have and with all the technology, church is not less important. It is more important than it's ever been. Amen? It is more important than it's ever been. But here's the deal, and let's do something. That is a process. I'm not telling you that, listen, if you go home today, get a good eight hours of sleep, you get up in the morning, you say, Jesus, here I am. All of a sudden, Jesus Christ walks into your kitchen, love you, and then you just skip off to work. Skip off to school, right? Uh, this, no, that's not, listen, God speaks in his own time. Waiting on God, Elijah walked for 40 days and 40 nights. We have no idea what that looks like, but God is in the waiting, listening, all of these things. This is a process. It's not a quick fix. It's not a silver bullet. But here's the deal. If you're here today and just like Elijah running for his life, if you are here today and there is something inside of you that is just telling you something has got to give, do not ignore it. Something has got to give. Something has got to change. You are tired. Physically, you're tired. Mentally, you're tired. Emotionally, you're tired. Like we talked about last week, the lights on your dashboard are going off. Under the hood, something is not right. Look at me. That is not going to fix itself. And just like Elijah runs literally for his life to God, you need to go to God today. And tomorrow and the day after that and every day until Jesus comes or you see him face to face. So right now at the end we're going to ask, I want to ask us the question that I think that God is asking every person. It's the same question that God asks Elijah. And I love that God in verse 9 comes to Elijah and says, what are you doing here? It's not a question of anger, it's a question of love. I think that the Spirit of God moving in this room right now is asking every one of us, what are you doing here in this building, in that seat? What are you doing here today? 
Oh, well, I come every single week. This is just what I do. No, 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 that's not what I mean. What are you doing holding on to those things? I never told you to hold on to them. What are you doing with those thoughts? What are you doing here with those emotions? What, what are you doing here with that bitterness? What are you doing here with that grudge? What are you doing here with that issue in your life that you just think that you can pray away? And you've been praying for years. It's not changing. What are you doing? And I want to give us just a moment to go to God and then name it. Just to name it. Listen, church, there is power in bringing things from darkness to light. There's just power in it, man. I, I believe it. Do you believe it? I just believe there's power in naming it. And we are so free in Christ. The love of God is a safe place just to go and say, God, this is where I am. And not to judge it, not to beat yourself up over it, but just to hold it between you and the Lord this morning. Just to hold it as a child of God, just going just gonna to hold it right there. So would you, would you just bow your heads, would you close your eyes this morning? And I just want you to hear the voice of God come to you and ask you, what are you doing here? What are you doing here today? And whatever your answer is, I just want you to answer it right now to God.